0: News Network. COVID, Delta, Omicron. There aren't enough letters in the Greek alphabet to keep everyone scared forever. So, how do you fight the fear? With facts. And where do you find these facts? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan
1: Newman. Well, guess what? This Friday morning, regarding facts, I have a whole pocket full of them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the end of the week, Friday. With TNN Live, thank you for being here. I'm Dan Newman. We're glad you're here. Those of you that are here every day, we're really glad you're here, and um, we like sharing things with you. You know, one of the one of the worst things about living is if you don't have anybody to share living with. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal for those of us that are into relationships, and most of us are. I'm one of those guys. I want to be with people. I want to be with somebody. I've got a great 47, almost 48-year relationship with my bride, my best friend, Marianne Newman, and I'm grateful to have that relationship. We have a, a phenomenal family. We have three children, six grandchildren, and all of our kids are diverse in what they do. Our grandchildren are as well. It's just really cool to be living this life and living it with other people. And it doesn't just have to be family. Early this morning, 6 o'clock, in fact, 6 o'clock every weekday morning, I go to a 30-minute prayer meeting with brothers and sisters, like-minded spiritually, and it's really cool to integrate with people, people from all walks of life, difference, differences. That's what makes us who we are, the differences, and we learn from each other. Iron sharpens arm. Have you ever heard that before? Iron does sharpen iron. And being with other people and learning and listening and growing and making decisions based on things that you hear. Those are the things that make the world go round. And I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm glad you're a part of this. Well, we're we're already at a, a weekend, second weekend in January. Can you believe that? halfway through the month of January in 2022. It's going to take me till probably July before I get accustomed to switching the one to the two in 22, It does that every year to me. It just takes a long time. I guess I'm a little bit slow. But you know what? That's all right. In the big scheme of things, does that really matter? And you know the answer. Absolutely not. So what's going on in the world today? Kind of quiet all day yesterday, wasn't it? (laughs) It was anything but quiet on the national stage. We're going to get into all of the goodies today. We've got a couple of blockbuster inside things that we're going to get to here in just a little bit. But obviously the 900-pound gorilla in the room is the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court delivered a big blow to President Biden yesterday, blocking his... Big, the biggest of them all, COVID vaccination or test mandate for these private businesses, large companies. At the same time, the nation's highest court allowed a vax mandate for healthcare workers at facilities that get federal funding to go ahead. And it's kind of a faux pas to call it getting federal funding. It's really not the case. We're talking about specifically. Social, not Social Security, I'm sorry, Medicare and Medicaid. Every doctor, almost without exception across the nation, accepts doing work on patients in exchange for the money that Medicare and Medicaid pay for those services. That money comes from the federal government. And therefore, the U.S. Supreme Court says it is the federal government that issued this mandate. So they have legal authority to do it. But the others, not so much. So after months of public appeals to Americans to get vaxxed against COVID, which has killed more than 800,000 people in the U.S., arguably it's a really stinky virus disease. Biden announced September he was making vaxes compulsory at companies that employ 100 or more. Unvaccinated employees would have to present weekly negative tests and wear face masks when they went to work. I think Biden tried to slip it into the lives of us all Americans through the OSHA, trying to do a little jump around and maybe get the Supreme Court to look on it a little bit better. OSHA is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. And they gave businesses until February 9th to be in compliance with the rules or face the possibility of fines. But the Supreme Court's six conservative justices ruled the mandate would represent a significant encroachment into the lives and the health of a vast number of employees. Although Congress indisputably gave OSHA the power to regulate occupational dangers, you know, those dangers that you see on the job. It's not given the agency power, did not come from Congress, which is where the Supreme Court says it has to come from, if OSHA is going to regulate public health more broadly. Requiring the vaccination of 84 million Americans, selected simply because they work for employers with more than 100 people, certainly falls into the latter category. And of course, the three liberal justices, they dissented. The mandate for healthcare workers receiving federal funding was approved in a 5-4 vote. Two conservatives, Chief Justice John Roberts, who arguably is not conservative as he was presented to be and did in his early career on the court, Brett Kavanaugh, they joined the liberals, both of them, John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, ensuring that providers take steps to avoid transmitting a dangerous virus to their patients is consistent with the fundamental principle of the medical profession. First, do no harm. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to weigh in with some opinion here. I know that may surprise many of you. But talking about forcing healthcare workers that work in hospitals, work in clinics, work treating patients, we called on all those people beginning two years ago. You remember? We called on them and they went to work. There were no vaccinations. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what they were facing, but they knew this. They were treating ill people, very sick people. And I know there are certainly some nurses, some doctors, some other workers in healthcare that left the industry because they were afraid of getting COVID-19. They looked around and watched people dying all around them. I understand that. But a lot, most of in fact, those champions stayed on the job. There's a lot to be said for that folks. A lot to be said for that. And here we are two years later, year and a half later, whatever the number is. We still have people getting sick. Omicron. It's flooding the hospitals, we're told. Who's going to take care of them? Do you know that by law, there has to be a certain ratio between nurses and patients or hospitals can't admit any other patients? And so we've got tens of thousands of nurses that have left left the business because they're not going to get vaccinated. They look at what I just told you. Hey, I put my life on the line for a year before we even had vaccinations. Yeah, some of them got COVID. Some of them got sick. Some of them died. They did that because that's their commitment to the lives and living in America. And now because of a, a mandate, a vaccine, a vaccine that we know is killing thousands of people the vaccines themselves there's far more in it than we're being told and to be quite honest with you I think there are far more in the vaccines than even the manufacturers know regarding the results the side effects the adverse effects of these vaccinations with those big question marks up there and the fact that we need more than ever before in my lifetime we need more health care on-site medical workers. And what the Supreme Court did yesterday, what Joe Biden did when he issued it, it's going to kill people, maybe thousands more. Hospitals are going to be able aren't going to be able to take in a lot of patients. Patients will be sitting outside of hospitals dying. I promise you. This is going to happen if the surge of this new variant, Omicron, continues to happen. All of these healthcare workers that have been holding on, hoping for the best, they're going to have to make a choice. Either quit or take a vaccine that I'm scared to death has got stuff in it based upon what I'm seeing in people myself that I'm treating. So what are the rest of us going to do when we have Oh, a heart attack, which I've had one and we need to get medical care at a hospital and we go there and they can't take care of me because the emergency room, you know, our normal doctors, we had two or three of them that refused to get the vaccination and we don't have anybody to take care of this patient of you and the nurses, you got to have so many nurses. They, they, they make those decisions on admitting every hospital does on a daily basis and they have to submit documentation to their state regulating agencies. We've got this many nurses and here's our patient count. They do that every day. Our son is in management at a big hospital in Fort Worth. We uh, excuse me Arlington and we, we've told you this before. He looks at the census over there every day and gives me the stats. Not just how many people are in the hospital, but by status. How many in intensive care? How many people are COVID patients? And oh, by the way, Omicron apparently hasn't hit Fort Worth yet because they don't have many COVID patients and they don't have kids as we were told and led to believe that kids were getting Omicron very quickly. Maybe in some other parts of the nation, and I believe that's true, but not so much in Dallas-Fort Worth. But nevertheless, folks, we haven't seen the end of this this chaos, this craziness. And let me tell you this, the way it's looking right now, I'll tell you one thing about Joe Biden as president and what his legacy is going to be. If it keeps going the way it is right now, he will go down as the President of the United States, who personally, not signing bills coming over from Congress that have been approved, but he personally, through executive order, ordered the deaths of more Americans than have ever died in any one incident with this mandate. Mark my word, we're headed... In that direction so how how the rest of the world reacted to the supreme court's action yesterday you know you remember howard dean howard dean former democrat national committee chairman he ran for president he's a doctor i don't know him personally i've watched his career and listened to him for years and i'll just tell you point blank he's an idiot Yesterday, he said on MSNBC's The Beat that the Supreme Court striking down Biden's vaccine mandate for the big companies means it was a threat to America because millions would die. The host said, does this set back the safety of Americans today? And Dean responded, it does. The disturbing thing about this, of course, is in their right-wing ideological zealotry, They have substituted their judgment for public health judgment, which they're totally unqualified to do. They did the same in the abortion case in Mississippi, where they look like they're headed that way, where they substitute their judgment for the judgment of doctors and patients. This is an ideologically motivated court. No, Mr. Dean, listen closely. Listen. The Supreme Court made their decisions based totally on two things, precedent and constitutional law. They're not into politics. You are into politics, Dr. Dean, and you have always felt like and acted on a national stage like you're above everybody else. You're not. They acted based on the law. If they were totally ideological zealots like you accused, they would have canceled the other one, the one for the federal employees. They didn't because they made decisions based on the law. Dean Wedden threw. He continued, this situation is going to kill probably more Americans than died certainly in World War II. Maybe even if we keep at this pace, kill more Americans then died in the Civil War, which is the war that did more damage to this country than any other. The court is not helpful. They're not using common sense. They're using the law. Dean added, the Mississippi decision, the voting rights decision, the Citizens United, where corporations are now people and can put as much money as they want into political stuff, and in many cases not be found out, the court is a threat, to the United States of America, this is actually a threat to individual lives. There will be a great many of them and seven figures as a result of this. We're close to seven figures now, Howard. What you just heard is the rant of a truth seller, a far leftist. And in that, if you look through and listen through the mantra of what I just gave you, the quotes from Mr. Dean, What you see is the character, the personality of a true totalitarianist. Law doesn't matter. The rule of law doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is political perspective. Listen to this one. You know who Lawrence Tribe is. He's a far-left Harvard law professor. He said he saw the handwriting on the wall when the Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor was nominated for her post by Barack Obama. Now, Tribe is a radical who's dismissed the Constitution as partly stupid. (laughs) And he described Fox News host Tucker Carlson as a dangerous anti-democracy demagogue. So that makes you probably want to hear what Lawrence Tribe had to say about all this, right? Well, before we go there, flashback to 2010. That was a year after Sotomayor was confirmed. Shocking reports emerged at the time that President Obama then, longtime legal mentor, had in the previous year, talking about Sotomayor, urged him to nominate Elena Kagan, not Sotomayor, to the high court. That longtime mentor was who? Lawrence Tribe. In May of 2009, after Justice David Souter announced his retirement from the Supreme Court, Lawrence Tribe, the prominent Harvard law professor, wrote a two-page letter to President Obama that bluntly laid out his views about several justices and potential nominees. This was from the New York Times, October twenty eighth, way back in 2010. The letter was leaked to a guy named Ed Whelan, a former Bush administration lawyer, who at that time in 2010 was the president of the Conservative Ethics and Public Policy Center, and he posted it on the center's website. Try began the letter by stressing the importance of Obama's pick, noting that Justice Souter's resignation was, quote, an opportunity to lay the groundwork for a series of appointments that will gradually move the court in a pragmatically progressive direction. Let me give you the interpretation. Yeah, Obama, this is just the beginning. You're going to be able to pack the court with activist judges. Yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay. Yeah. In the next paragraph, he went to work then bashing Sotomayor, who at the time was seated on the U.S. Court of Appeals, the Second Circuit. If you were to appoint someone like Sonia Sotomayor, whose personal history and demographic appeal you don't need me to underscore, I'm concerned that the impact within the court would be negative in these respects. Bluntly put, she's not nearly as smart as she seems to think she is. And her reputation for being something of a bully could well make her liberal impulses backfire and simply add to the firepower of the Robert Salido Scalia-Thomas wing of the court that she's not nearly as smart as she seems to think she is was demonstrated last week when she issued a stunning series of factually inaccurate statements during a hearing about Joe Biden's business vaccine mandate. You remember those? we got got 100,000 kids in the hospital, most of them in intensive care, all bonafide lives. In the third paragraph of his letter, Tribe turned his attention to Elena Kagan, who at the time served as the Department of Justice Solicited General. For the Souter seat, I can't think of anyone nearly as strong as Elena Kagan, whose combination of intellectual brilliance political skill would make her a ten-strike, if you'll forgive my reference to Bowley. I've known and worked with her, yada yada. Hey, he just went on and on and on about it. Well, Lawrence Tribe was wrong. He may have been right about Sotomayor. He was wrong about Elena Kagan. Both of them are far, 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 far leftists. And they are not playing the rule of law thing. They are playing politics. This may be the death of this nation. Politics. I mean, look what's happening to our public health system. Do you know that we were known all over the world for several generations having the best, the most progressive, the fairest health care system on the planet? Some of the most alarming government actions taken since this pandemic began have weakened state authority to safeguard public health. The feds think they can take over, and they're trying to take over everything. At least 26 states have removed traditional powers from local health departments. You know, the places that are right there where the rubber meets the road. And their task, their singular task, is to protect us. New state laws, for example, take away or limit health officials' abilities to require masks, promote vaccinations, close restaurants and schools, or even impose impose quarantines. Now you say, wait a minute, Dan, you're talking about, no. I'm going to tell you at the end of what I'm doing now what this story is all about. These limitations on local authority might seem inevitable in a country where voters often fear government overreach, but in fact, these changes run counter to the historical trend in the U.S., which has overwhelmingly begun to increase public health powers during epidemics. At the beginning of European settlement here in America, there were no government health departments. But faced with devastating, terrifying, and frequent outbreaks of deadly diseases, colonists established temporary boards of health to set public policy intended to save lives. These temporary boards quarantined ships in the harbors, required sick residents to isolate at home and disbanded when the epidemics passed. But over time, these boards became permanent. They increasingly expanded local and state authority to regulate community behavior in the name of public health. The public cooperated throughout the 19th and the 20th centuries as Americans developed a sense of civic obligation and responsibility. Because of this growing public commitment, the powers of cities and states to control disease increased with new epidemics. Repeated occurrences of yellow fever, cholera, smallpox, and scarlet fever led to the establishment of public health departments that we recognize today. Folks, this story is a long diatribe. It's an editorial published in Yahoo News. And what they're doing in this story is they're trying to set and build a case for the federal government to come in and take over the federal health care system, the entire nation's health care system, because... These local and state health departments have just clamped down and they're egregiously taking these actions. The state of California, right now, do you know what Gavin Newsom has floated out there this week? There's a plan in place for the state of California to take over the entire healthcare system of the state. That means no private insurance companies. Did you hear that? No private insurance companies. What's the common denominator, Gavin Newsom in this story? Bureaucrats. People in office. Bureaucrats. Yeah, they're elected to represent and do certain things, but they are stealthily, not even stealthily anymore, daily, steadily, seizing more and more power, and they are dying for more of the power. They lust for more and more power. They want power and control, unilateral, universal control of everything, every part of our lives. I mean, look what's happening today. Just so far, we've pulled back the cover just a little bit and seen a little bit of what the federal government is doing and wants to do in our healthcare system already. And there are actually people out there that believe even more control is necessary. This is, this is just insanity. When I, when I saw this, I, and that editorial, it's about a thousand more words. I just thought I'd bring you that opening. And isn't it interesting the way it begins? They kind of hide the intent of these editorials to get people hooked to look in. And here's what they hope happens. A paragraph or two in, you'll say, well, you know, maybe this is a good point. Maybe I need to think this through. And they get you hooked and they, they plant a seed. And then all of a sudden, they're changing the minds of Americans. How often do you think this is happening? It's happening all day, every day. I promise you it is. We've got some examples here in a little bit that are going to blow your mind. You probably heard this already. I'll just point it out for no other reason than just maybe you forgot about it. But CNN, I didn't think their ratings could go further down. They are through the floor. I mean, they are toast. And I can tell you this, if they weren't owned by AT&T, and if AT&T didn't have a lot of money and didn't mind spending a lot of money, they'd pull the plug, turn the lights out on CNN because they are bleeding Money. Why? Well, CNN was originally, way back in the beginning, Ted Turner started it. Ted Turner, the superstation guy, the guy that owned the Atlanta Braves, one of the biggest landholders in the nation now, multimillionaire, yada, 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 yada. And he started it as a real, the very first cable news network. It was headquartered in Atlanta. Earl Casey, a friend of mine from Monroe, Louisiana, was one of their first anchors very professional journalism but then the dollar sign got in everybody's eyes hey we've got to find a way to to make money with this network we can't just provide a service i mean if ted turner's a billionaire if he's going to you know we we got we got we to find ways to make money just by the news so what do we have to do we we can't just do news across the spectrum we have to find a niche, something that we can sell, get people amped up and mad, and create some division. That's what CNN morphed into. And I think you'll you'll agree that they are probably nobody better than them, maybe MSNBC, but I don't even think they're that good. This is the world in which we find ourselves living every day. And all we really want is just somebody give us the facts, tell us the truth. We want to get on with our lives. So what do we have going on here today at TNN Live? Well, besides what you've already heard, you know, yesterday I teased you and said Project Veritas has found some hard, cold evidence regarding the efficacy of drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Facts, folks. facts. (laughs) We have those facts and it is, it's amazing when the reality is understood. It puts in perspective just a little bit better exactly what we're living through now. We've got that report. We have the vice president. We have the president, Joe Biden. He's here today. He doesn't know he's here. But he's here, and if he really was here, he probably still wouldn't know he's here. (laughs) We have that and a whole lot more. Sit tight back in a minute at TNN Live. At Target, our first priority is the health of you, your families, and our team members. That's why we now require guests to wear a mask or face covering and continue to provide masks and gloves to protect our team members. Every day, we deep clean our stores and wipe down carts and baskets after every use. And you can always count on easy, contactless shopping options like drive-up and same-day delivery. We believe in
0: always taking care, and we'll always do that for you. Learn more at Target.com slash view. Have you
2: heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals
0: In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan
1: Newman. Yeah, I got my blaster right here. I've got my Superman cape on, and I tried this morning to fly a little bit, but it was too cold. I couldn't get off the ground. Doesn't have anything to do with what I weigh, right? Hey. Brian Stelter, do you know who he is? He's one of those um, CNN experts on pretty much everything politics. He's their political guy, has a show, and he's, he's, he's just the most ridiculous person on cable television news that I've seen. I don't want to concentrate on news people. I don't. News is just one of those things we have to deal with in our lives. But I think everybody needs to understand who is legitimate, who we can at least listen to to get an idea about things, the way people think. Brian Stelter's not one of those guys, but he's one of those that they keep marching out at CNN to give us all the facts. And so this just popped up. I thought this is like one and a half minute, maybe two minutes, but he has a guy on there and they're talking about themselves, the media. And the problems that they're seeing at CNN about the way Americans are perceiving the news that they give to us. Listen to this. It's in the
2: Reliable Sources newsletter. Here's a here's a big, overly broad question for you, okay? Is the
3: media at this point out of touch with the public about COVID?
2: I, I think it's hard to argue that, uh, you know, the media is a, a large uh, group of people. But a lot of the media does seem, when I look at it and, and then travel the country, to be very out of touch with people. I mean, if you travel the country, people are not really living in the same uh, bubble that it seems that uh, most of the media is messaging toward. And, right. and so, yeah, and, and so I, I, I think this is an issue because if people are tuning out uh, what's going on in cable news, if we're not messaging toward uh, the general population, um, you know, they're, they're just, you know, ignoring everything and, and living their lives, uh, and, and we're not really getting the information that they need to them.
1: (laughs) Listen, folks, we're talking about some really high-paid people (laughs) that sit in the the seat of humanity (laughs) in New York City. And here we are. CNN's been around since the 1980s, late 80s. And they're just now figuring out that Americans are kind of rejecting the crap that they feed to us. <laughs> uh, and they just don't think much about us, but we've got the stuff that all Americans need to have. And why why when? Why won't they listen to us? It's because you don't tell us the facts. Give us the facts. Let me give you an example. Possible evidence has emerged in D.C. that Bureaucrats like Dr. Anthony Fauci had sought to suppress vital information about alternative COVID treatments during the early days of the pandemic. You remember those early days? Were you here with us at TNN Live? Were you here with us when my wife got a bad, a super bad case of COVID-19 in the very beginning of this stuff when everybody was scared to death? We turned to somebody that we know personally, a physician, to get some advice. Not a politician, not to a bureaucrat. We didn't listen. This is in the very early stages when Anthony Fauci was just gaining his quote-unquote credibility. You know, his reputation as being the COVID god or the COVID czar, whatever you want to call him. And our doctor prescribed hydroxychloroquine to Marianne azithromycin, zinc, and that breathing thing. I can't ever remember it, like bazenazide or something like that. And she was really sick for about a week in three days. Bam. She was fine. My brother, the same thing. His wife, the same thing. Their son, the same thing. Their daughter-in-law, the same thing. And since then, dozens and dozens and dozens of friends and people that we know have used hydroxychloroquine and other non-politically correct treatments that their personal physicians recommend to them. So this news comes out. The conservative watchdog group Project Veritas claims to have obtained a damning report written by a U.S. Marine who formerly worked with DARPA. We told you about this. We teased it yesterday. He worked there as the Commandant of the Marine Corps Fellows. Writing on behalf of DARPA a year ago, U.S. Marine Major Joseph Murphy allegedly penned a letter to the Department of Defense Inspector General. That's the guy or the person that has all of the ability and the rights and does responsibility to, to make every American department in the federal government to operate according to the law and according to their authority. So in that letter to the inspector general, he said, great concern over the COVID-19 gain-of-function program, the concealment of documents, and the suppression of potential curatives like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and the mRNA vaccines. So this report is one of two DARPA documents that Project Veritas claims were hidden in a top-secret shared hard drive. Hmm. Unfortunately, Project Veritas does not identify in what ways that Murphy had claimed ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were suppressed. But folks, we live in this world. we, We saw it ourselves. I mean, the COVID guy and everybody that worked in that big group of people that were running our COVID-19 lives, they all pooped hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. The notion itself of suppression, it's not a surprise. You know who Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin is. He's a Republican. And he's on the bandwagon now. He spoke out about this suppression thing really demonstrably a couple of weeks ago. He was on Fox News in early December and he told Brian Kilmeade that Fauci had done the same thing vis-a-vis AIDS. Many of you don't even realize it. Fauci's first stab at being a medical god was finding a cure for HIV AIDS. And he's the one that found that great drug that was taking everything going to make everybody that had AIDS be well. And it killed a bunch of people and it's banned from being on the market. Now Johnson said Fauci's doing this just like he did with AIDS. He fear mongered over the disease and then ignored a litany of viable treatments. Fauci Johnson said Fauci, did the exact same thing with AIDS. He overhyped it. He created all kinds of fear, saying it could affect the entire population when it couldn't. And he's doing, he's using the exact same playbook with COVID, ignoring therapy, pushing a vaccine. The solution to this was early treatment. We still haven't robustly explored that. And that's a travesty. But like other Democrats, as we know, Fauci is fixated. His whole world is wrapped around coronavirus. As if COVID is zero-sum game in which you get the vaccine and you win the game. Or you don't get the vaccine and you die. Yet breakthrough cases, and worse, breakthrough deaths, have shown otherwise, forcing the experts to accept some of the alternative treatments two years later. Two years later, we have paraded before you on this show numerous examples, almost one every day, of a hospital in the nation. I mean, a very credible hospital, one in Chicago, one in North Carolina, several in Florida, where the hospital protocol for treating COVID-19 that comes from the CDC and the FDA does not include treating patients with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. And we've seen cases where people were on their deathbeds. The hospital said, You're going to die, and they gave up. Family members come in and they want to try either hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, or both with their loved ones. And the hospitals not only won't do it, they won't let it be done. The families go to court and the court makes it happen. And the patients get up and walk out of the hospital. Now tell me, tell me why, why would anybody that is in healthcare, anybody that is in our government, anybody that works for us, not just Fauci, but anybody else, why would they think doing this is okay? That's the scary part to me in all this. They're getting away with it because there are others that feel the same way. And even today, folks, even today, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine still remain taboo. Despite numerous reports from COVID sufferers around the world, we we covered one story that came out of France at the very beginning of this one very famous doctor did a massive study using hydroxychloroquine to treat French patients who were dying. And a massive percentage, way up in the 90 percentage range, recovered. Dovetailing back to Project Veritas's findings. Their findings coincide with others showing that Fauci had greenlit the target of lockdown dissenters. The findings consist of emails between Fauci and former National Institute of Health head Dr. Francis Collins, both plotting ways to silence the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. Rand Paul sought to question Fauci about these findings during hearings Earlier in the week, in one email exchange with Dr. Collins, this is Rand Paul accusing Fauci, in that email exchange, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Instead of engaging them on the merits, you and Dr. Collins sought to smear them as fringe, and take them down, and not in journals, in lay press. This is not only anti-ethical to the science, the scientific method. It's the epitome of cheap politics, and it's reprehensible. That was Rand Paul. Fauci tried to play innocent, as he always does, by saying it'd been Collins' idea and that he'd merely been responding to then-NIH director's emails. Paul didn't stand for it. He responded, reminding Fauci that he could have said no and put a stop to Collins' smear efforts. Did you ever object to Dr. Collins' characterization of them as fringe? Did you write back and say, no, they are not French. They're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath me to do that. You responded that you would do it. You immediately got an article in Wired and sent it back and said, look, I've got them, and I nailed them in Wired, of all scientific publications. It's not clear whether he'll be singing the same tune once more details come out from Major Murph's letter to the Department of Defense Inspector General, we're watching this case very closely, folks. We are. It's a big deal. And I think we're going to find out there's a whole lot going on, far more going on than what we thought was going on. Seriously, I think it's really bad. And it's really bad beginning at the very top. Our president, he's lost a lot of his cognitive ability. I, I, I even think often of not even mentioning or bringing it up because I don't want to look like I'm piling on. He is an older guy. I'm an old guy. He's an older guy, and he is having difficulty. And I don't want to in any way disparage him or make fun of him. But facts are facts, and he is our president. And we need a president that is working at 100% 24-7 for at least four years. I think you'll agree. He doesn't fit that bill. Let me me just let you listen to just just a little bit of how it was yesterday of all times, just one day ago. Uh,
3: We were joking earlier. No, we weren't really joking. (laughs) I've been, uh, I've been saying that as we remain in this pandemic. Uh, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Before its vaccination requirement, the United States, uh, excuse me, United Airlines uh, uh, was... Uh, now, I don't like to, uh, uh, you know, uh, outline the next steps we're taking against... Uh, I'd I like to outline the next steps we're taking against over on the, the Omicron variant. You should wear the mask. And you're there there, there are a lot, you know, lots of different kinds of masks out there. And the Center for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, says that wearing a well-fitting mask of of, of any of them is certainly better than not wearing a mask. If it's well-fitting, well-fitting over your nose, if you're in a, you know, I, I think it's part of your patriotic duty. It's not that comfortable. It's a pain in the neck. I, you know, I, I know we all wish that we could finally be done with wearing masks. I get it, but there is they're a really important tool now, and it's changed, and we'll continue to work with the retailers and online re- and on and online retailers uh, to uh, increase availability, so that there are more than more free in-person testing sites, and to help uh, lead our federal testing program. I've talked. I've, 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 ta- I've. Excuse me. I've tapped uh, Dr. Tom. In- I'm, I hope I pronounced it, In- 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 Just thanks, just, since, just since Thanksgiving, I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows.
1: Deal with misinformation and misinformation that's on your shows. Talking to the media. Well, let's just examine a little bit of Joe's disinformation. You know, the N95 mask thing. Oh, that's the, you know, that's the cure-all. That's the mask that will keep anybody from ever getting even a cold. You wear an N95 mask. Well, nobody can wear them around the clock. They're very obtrusive in their nature. They must be to stop anything. And they're used in very important places. Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders, an independent from Vermont, yesterday, he actually put a bill forth to buy every home in America for every person that lives in every home in America, the federal government to buy and provide an N95 mask to every person legitimately put it out there. A bill, a proposal. Now remember, you could say, you know, well, they, you know, it's the Senate split right down the middle. No, it's really not when you have a vice president that casts a tie anytime there's a a tie vote, cast the the untying vote. That could happen. Can you imagine how many tens of billions of dollars that would cost? That's in the shadow of the 47 laboratory-controlled tests that are published on the CDC website that prove that even an N95 mask doesn't stop everything. The only kind of N95, KN95 mask that is sometimes effective, not always effective, is the one that is totally enclosed, and the person wearing it is getting oxygen, not even breathing air, is getting oxygen, out of a tank that's attached to the mask. That's the insanity that is going on at the top of this government. And this guy, the one you just heard, he's the CEO of our government, the chief executive officer. He, in any CEO situation, is supposed to be the final decision maker for everything that happens in that corporation down below it. And he's not leading, folks. He's not. He's reacting to different things every day that pop up. He is not a leader. Look at everything he's done in this first year. What accomplishment? Give me one accomplishment that Joe Biden has made this year. I'm waiting. I just got, you may have heard, I just got a couple of textings when I said that. Oh my gosh, it's just incredible. And they made—they were bragging yesterday about they bought some N95s for members of Congress to use. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Well, guess what? They did buy some. And you're going to love this. Everyone they bought, the whole shipment, of mask for 535 people in the United States Congress are plainly stamped on the mask manufactured in China. You can't make this stuff up. Now what about Joe and his warning us that hospitals are soon going to be full of the unvaccinated? that this is a a pandemic of the unvaccinated. This past Christmas season, during the month of December, he issued that very eyebrow-raising message to unvaccinated Americans, threatening a winter of severe illness and death. His words, severe illness and death. And preemptively accusing jab-resistant folks of clogging up hospitals, Well, the remarks came after a brief statement on December 16th on the surge in cases of the Omicron. He said, for unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death. Unvaccinated for themselves, their families, and the hospitals they'll soon overwhelm. Well, I mean, when he said that, moms and dads, they were just looking around and they were imagining images of Hospital hallways and lobbies clogged to overflowing with desperately ill, regretful 'er ne'er-do-wells crying from their deathbeds that they should have listened to the president and got the jab. Well, as it happens, Winter has brought bottlenecks at hospitals amid the ongoing pandemic. But it's not exactly what fear-mongering Joe was warning us about. No, it seems to have more to do with his own far-reaching federal policy and the arbitrary standards that his administration, from his mouth, his directions, has set to determine who is COVID-approved to participate in public life, like, you know, work, school, visits to local establishments and large-scale venues where other folks are going to be there at the same time. In Vermont, let me just tell you about this. We don't talk about Vermont very much. A little bitty sliver state up in the very northeast. Hospital emergency rooms have been clogged with asymptomatic folks who tested positive with an antigen test at home, and they come to the hospital wanting a PCR test. What for? We got to find out if we were COVID positive. We don't trust the first test most likely because they need to know if they can go to work or school the next day. 90% of the people in Vermont are vaccinated and boosted. 90, the most vaccinated state in the nation. As hospitals across the country face staffing shortages, I mean coast to coast, because of ousted, And exiting employees who refuse to comply with federal VAX mandates. Vermont's, they're the same thing, but they're even worse off. It's not so much the beds that are the precious resource. It's the staff at this time. So we have to have some of our clinical people provide care to those people. And they don't provide. They can't provide care to the folks in the emergency room. This is Dr. Rick Hildebrand, medical director to Rutland Regional Medical Center. He explained that Rutland's ER has been clogged with asymptomatic patients, no, no symptoms, who used a rapid test at the house, saying these are the people who should be staying home so hospital resources can go toward those who are severely ill and need urgent care. The Vermont Hospital Association has heard similar stories from hospitals in other parts of the state. It's not exactly the horror story that Biden had for us last month, but it is. It is a horror story, no less. We're two years into this pandemic. It seems like it's been five years. We're two years in. We're well aware that millions upon millions of people can contract the virus and easily recover at home vaccinated or not. That's just cold, hard reality, folks. And yet people who need PCR tests and don't feel sick at all are flooding ERs. Let me just blow this one up. We're going to publish a story over the weekend, a report that finally the federal government is blowing up the PCR test. Why? Because they don't give accurate results. Almost half of the tested PCR test, tens of thousands and laboratory-controlled tests of the tests themselves give false positives. This is not how things should be going, regardless of what you think about the vaccines. Controversial early treatment options or the Biden administration's handling of the pandemic as a whole. It comes as nurses are being told, They can work when they test positive for the virus. Did you know that? They're letting nurses work, stay on the job. When they're working, taking care of COVID patients, if they're tested and are positive, they get to stay and work. While employees who wouldn't even get vaccinated and in many cases had already recovered from the virus, they're fired. None of this makes sense anymore. We're being told that the reason this pandemic keeps dragging on is because of the unvaccinated? I'll quote the president. Come on, man. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a dark winter. A dark winter of Biden fumbling and failing to fulfill his big campaign promise to shut down the virus. I think that's the only biggie, the only biggie bad thing there is now. I really do. Well, there are some other no- big news out in the world of news, the world of information, and we want to get into a little bit more of that. It has to do with congressional action. Uh, folks, Joe got, he got slapped down about three or four times yesterday alone. I can't imagine. I don't know if he drinks, but if he does, I'll bet you he threw down a few last night trying to figure out what, first of all, where he was. Secondly, Did he have clean underwear on? And thirdly, what the heck is going on to me? (laughs) It's not funny, but if you don't laugh, folks, you're going to cry. Congressional action or inaction, that's up next at TNN Live.
2: Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com, B-A-B-B-E-L.com. How to improve your dining room by The Home Depot, New wood Floors, new paint on the walls sure you know us for that but how about a new dining room table matching chairs bar stools how about free and flexible delivery with easy online returns now you can explore decor in a whole new way save now on furniture everything for your home everything from HomeDepot.com. how doers get more done u.s only valid through september 7th limitations apply
3: I'm a Verizon engineer,
2: and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City, with the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities.
0: Turn it up loud. Now that's a smart speaker.
1: Now, the speaker he was talking about, what is it? The the speaker you're listening through on your phone or your computer? Oh, maybe he's talking about me. (laughs) You don't know this, but Pete Moss and I have a long time in a very good personal relationship. He's got a voice. Oh, my goodness. Does he have a voice? And uh, he grew up in radio, first got cranking here in Shreveport, Louisiana. And obviously, because of his voice and his personality, he made the big time. He's up in Chicago doing all that kind of stuff you hear him do for us all across the nation and even in some foreign countries. Anyway, just thought I'd throw that in. Well, let's see what we have on our plate. We have the voter rights bill. We have um, Build Back Better. And we can't get those passed. Why can't we get them passed? Because of people like Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona. She became one of, if not my big heroes of this year, yesterday. She said she is not going to vote to weaken the Senate's 60-vote filibuster threshold And in doing that, she's bucking her party leaders yet again and dealing a major blow to Democrats' election reform effort. They can't get that election reform bill passed without every senator that's a Democrat voting for it. So we've watched Joe Manchin very closely from West Virginia. He's been very, very plain that he doesn't believe doing away with the filibuster solely without Republicans aboard that he wouldn't vote for it. Kirsten Cinema kind of nailed it down with her comments yesterday. There's no need for me to restate, she said, my long-standing support for the 60-vote threshold to pass legislation. There's no need for me to restate its role in protecting our country from wild reversals of federal policy. This week's harried discussions about Senate rules are but a poor substitute for what I believe could have and should have been a thoughtful public debate at any time over the past year. And she added, But what is the legislative filibuster other than a tool that requires new federal policy to be broadly supported by senators representing the broader cross-section of Americans? Demands to eliminate this threshold from whichever party holds the fleeting majority amount to a group of people separated on two sides of a canyon screaming that solution over to the other side of the canyon to their colleagues. The House of Representatives passed a bill Thursday morning that combined both of those original pieces of legislation, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, but it won't get 60 votes in the Senate, which is split 50-50 on party lines. Any changes to the filibuster would need all 50 Senate Democrats on board. With Cinema taking a hard stance in favor of the filibuster yesterday, and Joe Manchin already saying he wants to keep the filibuster just like it is, they can't get it done. These bills help treat symptoms of the disease, Cinema said but they do not fully address the disease itself. And while I continue to support these bills, I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division affecting the country. Some have given up on the goal of erasing our divisions and uniting Americans. I have not, she added. Well, the leader of her party, the President of the United States, has. Remember, he campaigned and his big deal was two things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill. I'm going to stop COVID-19 and I'm going to unite the nation. He is the great divider of the nation. Cinema said, I've worked hard to demonstrate in my public service the value of working with unlikely allies to get results. Now, it's not clear yet. They may not be done, folks. Just throw this out there for your consideration. Chuck Schumer is still going to try to force a nuclear option vote to carve out one exception to the filibuster for the voting rights bill. A vote like that is likely going to fail, but it would continue to ratchet up pressures on Cinema, also on Manchin, and even some other Democrats who less vocally back the filibuster. Pressure hasn't worked on those senators so far, and it appears unlikely to work this time either. I'm going to make a prognostication. He's going to force this vote. Promise you, probably be Monday or Tuesday, in my opinion. He's going to get largely embarrassed because it won't just be Mansion and Cinema. There will be at least two more Democrat senators that vote against it. I really believe that. Now let me let me let me let me just listen to me. Slow down, Dan. And let me get you to think with me just for a minute about the filibuster. I I go uh, from year to year. I go, I like it, it's good, and then I go, no, it's not, because it just, it just, it just makes it impossible to get anything passed. But then I look back at what was going on in the nation at the time when this was all put together. Now, not the filibuster, but when the nation was being put together. And to make it totally fair, it couldn't be just because of the nature of the size of this continent on which we live, it couldn't be done with everybody being, which this is the way a pure democracy works, everybody has one vote on everything. Can you imagine having people in Maine, Bangor, Maine, and people in San Diego, that have to weigh in on every government issue every time there's a vote to be taken. Can you imagine, look at the legislation that's passed by Congress. Can you imagine having to have elections in, in which you as an American, we don't live in DC, we don't know what's going on with our government, but in a pure democracy, one vote for every person on every issue. So our forefathers put together this representative republic in which the people, we elect people to represent us and to take our voices to Washington and vote, create laws, and basically run the country. But they're doing it for us. This filibuster thing is always, it's always a fly in the ointment for those who are in power Who are hung up on not the democracy of the United States, but hung up on political partisan projects and narratives that they're pushing. And they can't do it the way our forefathers want and let it be done so that there would be no top-down cramming legislation down the throats of anybody. That's where the filibuster comes in. Minority in the Senate. They can get up and filibuster and force a 60-vote majority to pass legislation. That's to protect the minority, political party minority, not those representatives, but the people who they represent, to protect them, to make sure their voices are being heard. Now, let me, let me, let me just end this by telling you this. You want to know the hypocrisy of the Democrats? They're up here trying to kill the filibuster. Last year, last year, folks, 2020, Democrats in the Senate, they used the filibuster 317 times. (laughs) 317 times. They're the ones that want to kill the filibuster. You know how many times Republicans used it last year? Once. And to make it even worse, yesterday there was a bill that was presented to go to the floor of the Senate to be considered. Guess what bill it was? It was a bill it was a bill to sanction Russia to shut down that gas pipeline from Russia to Western Europe. Putin's deal. Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, put the bill out there. A huge majority of Americans want that done. What do the Democrats do? They filibustered to keep the bill from going to the floor. That's the world in which we live, and that's the Democrat Party. Don't don't listen. Just do it. If we tell you just do it and they believe Americans are so stupid that we're going to buy off on that and just benignly follow them, do their wishes, do their bidding and forget about the rule of law and the fact that we're America, we're government of, by, and for the people, not government of, by, and for the government, folks. Thank God there is enough ability at this point to get information, to be able to make some good choices and to get some answers that are important answers, that we can do that. Wow. What else is going on in the world around us? We're going to turn to one of our compadres in Britain in just a minute. He is going to weigh in on this COVID-19 in a way that I've not heard yet. But it's very concise and just remember across the pond in Great Britain they have a little bit of different circumstances but the way this whole thing has played out for them is pretty similar to the way it's played out here. People are just being despotted from the top. Government is just ratcheting down more and more and more every day on everything to do with the pandemic. They're seeing the same things we're seeing here. This guy Is eloquent. His name is Mark Dolan. He's got the great British accent. But listen closely to his synopsis of what this whole thing has been doing to us and what it's all about. The cozy COVID consensus is crumbling. I
4: loved this tweet from my brilliant colleague Dan Wotton earlier today. Here's what he tweeted: The lockdown cheerleaders at the BBC devoted an entire episode of their Sunday morning news show. ...to learning to live with COVID. Only a year and a half too late, folks. Much of the damage is now locked in. Shameful. Now you watch. In the months and years to come, the greatest proponents... ...for all of these ruinous COVID measures... ...that don't appear to have made a discernible difference... ...compared to countries and territories that did so little... ...will be rewriting their own history... ...in a similar way to those who now claim... ...never to have supported the Iraq War with the societal, economic, health and human damage from the measures we've seen, a set of unprecedented and experimental measures to control the virus, this will be like the Iraq war times 100. The Iraq war on acid. It won't just be a Tony Blair figure that you can blame in relation to that conflict. It will be an entire generation of scientists, medics, politicians and media outlets who will own this. They and they alone will own the non-COVID death toll, which is obviously going to dwarf that of COVID. They will own the national debt. They will own the mental health tsunami. They will own the NHS waiting list, upwards of 6 million and beyond. They will own a sadder, diminished and angrier society. They will own damaged children. You mark my words, one by one, almost every measure that we've seen will be discredited. It was months ago that experts widely accepted that the endless hand sanitizing wasn't a key measure as the virus is airborne. Do you remember when our hands were red raw and blistered at the start of the pandemic? There's evidence to suggest those wretched perspex screens everywhere, catastrophic for the environment, of course, and unsightly, may actually assist the spread of COVID by trapping the aerosols for longer. Well done, everyone. The surgical and cloth masks worn by the vast majority of people in this country are so useless, they're not even accepted in Austria or Germany. They won't accept them. They just don't count as face masks. Liana Wen, a medical analyst for lockdown loving news channel CNN in America, a woman who has backed the most stringent measures, told the channel, Don't wear a cloth mask. Cloth masks, she said, are little more than facial decorations blimey i might get a nose ring and if those super duper n95 masks are so effective why are cases in austria where they are now enforced outside going through the roof imagine that folks an outdoor mask mandate welcome to hell i was talking to a family friend recently and covid came up as it does and she said i don't read newspapers anymore or look at the telly she literally said I hate the media what a line I hate the media but who could blame her as they have fear constantly and peddled the doctrine of lockdowns masks distancing and jabbing and all they've done is spread fear across the community no analysis no scrutiny no common sense and no moral or ethical judgment in my view In press conference after press conference, it's been, why didn't we lock down more? Sooner, harder, faster. Why do they slavishly back those measures? Well, some commercial operators are being bankrolled by government advertising around COVID. The Beeb may want to please the government for a better license fee settlement. But almost all of them have pushed for these measures because fear gets you clicks and viewers. And these measures don't affect them. Most people in the media can afford lockdowns, curfews, social distancing, bubbles and work-from-home orders. Most of them are deemed essential workers and can come and go as they please. They've got fancy Apple Mac computers, well-appointed flats and houses. Often they've got capacious gardens, strong internet signals and plenty of Pinot Grigio chilling in the fridge. Much of the media has let the public down in the course of this pandemic by failing to offer a 360 view. Of the issues around the pandemic the people in my view have been gaslit terrified and bullied for almost two years there has been a media bubble and at gb news we are here to prick it let me quote you from two luminaries first up professor jay Bhattacharya, one of the most respected medics on the planet head of medicine at the world renowned stanford university in california he's also an expert In infectious diseases. He has called lockdowns the biggest public health mistake of all time. And let me quote you another luminary, a great thinker, the comedian Abby Roberts, because everyone is allowed an opinion, an extremely intelligent person. She simply said, this will be the biggest I told you so in history. How right she is. Now, in spite of my anger, at the, in my view, needless suffering that we've seen in the course of this pandemic for a very nasty virus, absolutely, but one non-fatal to the vast majority of the population. And in spite of my anger about how children have been treated, don't forget kids as young as 11 will be back in masks tomorrow at school, in spite of inconclusive evidence commissioned by the government that they actually work. And in spite of my dismay and pain on behalf of the millions who have been through hell and who will continue to pay for these measures... I personally will forgive and I will move on. But only if lessons are learned. If freedom of speech and thought within science and within the media are reinstated. And only if this madness is never allowed to happen again. Not on my watch.
1: Let me ask you, how many of you identify with what Mark Nolan just said? I mean, he's a a news guy. Mark Dolan, remember that name? I love that accent. He's got a really thick British accent. I love that. But it all makes perfect sense. They're propagating fear, using it as a tool for lockdowns. Who's paying the price for the lockdowns? Around three times as many kids in Germany attempted suicide during Germany's second COVID lockdown. The study that brought these numbers to us was based on data gathered from 27 children's intensive care units within the country, with the gathered data then extrapolated to get a final number. According to a report, the study concludes that somewhere between 450 to 500 suicide attempts were made by children and adolescence during the period of Germany's second COVID lockdown. That's three times as many suicide attempts in 2021 as in the comparative period from mid-March to the end of May in the years 2017 to 2019, three years. The extrapolated data could possibly be inflated due to some kids' intensive care units in Germany being primarily intended for premature newborns. But it's also noted the study does not take into account suicide attempts made by older kids and teens who end up in adult intensive care units instead of ones designated for the kids, the very young kids. Bottom line and all that, folks, is people are paying big prices for all of the fear-mongering that's going on. And the most... Oh my gosh, the most tender among us, our children are paying a price and folks, they don't have a voice in national media. Nobody I've seen has gone and talked to kids about what they're experiencing as they're dealing with their own COVID insanity. I mean, just think about it. When you were a kid, when you were six, seven, five, four, whatever, how did you interrelate in your society, whatever it was? I can tell you how you did it. Every kid does it this way, almost without exception. We interact with our fellow compadres, our fellow brothers and sisters, our kid buddies. And we learn so much of what we do by interacting with others at every age. But in the formative years of being a kid, it's critical And these egregious lockdowns are stealing those opportunities to grow and mature and develop healthy personalities from our kids. That's untenable. It's unacceptable. And I refuse to accept it as even being something we should consider again going forward. Let us all interrelate with each other. That's why I hate the mask. And I know I've told you from the very beginning of this thing when I go to a grocery store, I wear a mask, take it with me, not to protect me. I don't want to scare anybody in the store. Some little grandma sees this big, bald guy with an earring coming down the grocery aisle and he's not wearing a mask. I don't want to do that. That's the only reason I do it. But folks, that's just the tip of the iceberg in this whole thing. We've got to live our lives. God gave us these lives to live. He expects us to live these lives and to live them more abundantly, his promise to us. That's what he came for, came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. I promised Kamala Harris, vice president, second in command in the government, whoo-hoo, you're going to hear a little bit of her wisdom right after this, and we've got some other
0: goodies. Sit tight. Doing the job the media just won't do. TNN, the Truth News Network.
1: You get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the Claim Free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been Claim Free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans is to Claim Free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling
0: 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something.
2: Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers' branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by farmers, trucker, fire insurance, exchanges, or affiliate.
0: At Sternberger, our cars are more than just hunks of
4: metal that take you from point A to point B. They are also composed of industrial plastics, polymers, and rubbers. We also know it's what's in the car that is more important than the car itself. And that's why it can also carry up to 300 kilograms of human, animal or consumer goods cargo. The climate control device brings
2: the air temperature to 22 degrees Celsius. It's our way of making our cars comfortable for the majority of mammal species. In fact, it is a perfect vessel for transport from short to medium distances, and we believe that the price we are asking is a fair trade for the value transferred
0: to the consumer. Sternberger, more than just an auto. He sits in judgment, he stands for the law, kinda looks like a hero and sounds like your paw. Wapner! He smiles and he laughs, his voice tinged with gravel, but the bad guys gasp when he bangs his big gavel. Wapner! Judge Wapner! Judge Wapner! When neighbors brawl, when lovers refute, when suppliers and buyers and liars dispute. Wapner won't let those law books get dusty. Got a buddy named Doug and a sidekick named Rusty. Rusty! With Wapner. Judge Wapner. Doesn't do it from towers, doesn't do it from steeples. He does it in court. A court called People's. Wapner. People's Court. Judge Wapner. Call him your honor. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner rules on the people's court. Song over. Song over. Oh. Oh. Relaxing, unclenching, finding the real truth. TNN. And again, your host, Dan Newman. Just one more
1: little thing before we go to the vice president. Uh, news out this morning less than one third. Of voters in America, less than one third, trust the COVID 19 and any and all other health information given to us by Anthony Fauci. Less than one third. That's a shocker. I knew it was bad, I knew it was getting worse. But that's from one of the biggest polling agencies in the nation, and it's confirmed by two others. Less than one third trust. Dr. Fauci. So where do we number you? I can tell you what, I'm part of that uh, less than one third and have been for a long time. So our southern borders are Kamala Harris, well, there are all kinds of questions up in the air about her future and about this administration's future. She um, She's not very proficient when she gets in front of a microphone to speak openly, unless she's reading a speech that is prepared by somebody and it's on a teleprompter. But she does really poorly when it's, you know, sit there and fly by the seat of your pants. Somebody asks you a question, you answer it. I want you to listen to this little back and forth between her and uh, an African-American guy questioning her. Obviously, it's not a racial th- situation. That's the only remember uh, the only reason I mentioned his skin color, so that nobody would think he was attacking her. But he wanted some answers. And please listen to this, and keep in mind as you listen to her, she's one heartbeat away from being the president of the United States of America. There is no way around that, folks. Last night, I did an exhaustive deep dive into the what the Constitution says about the line of secession and the circumstances that go along with it, specifically the vice president. Let me just say this. If Joe Biden goes down, she's the guy. She's the POTUS, folks. Here is who may be, maybe very shortly, the next president of the United States, answering very
0: important questions questions. Are we going to uh, to see the same Democratic ticket in 2024?
5: I'm sorry, we are thinking about today. I mean, honestly, the, I, I, I know why you're asking the question because this is the part of the punditry and the, right. the gossip around places like Washington, D.C. Let me just tell you something. We're focused on the things in front of us. We're focused on what we need to do to to address issues like affordable childcare, what we need to do to ensure so there, there have been that, no conversations that,
0: about twenty twenty four.
5: The American people sent us here to do a job, and right now there's a lot of work to be done, and that's my focus. It sounds sincerely. Like
0: you're at least familiar with some of the punditry. I don't know if you've heard that there've been some there's been some talk about a a, a Biden Cheney ticket, perhaps in twenty twenty four. Did you read that article?
5: I did not. I'm I no, I did not, and I really could care less about the high class gossip on these issues. I'm sorry, we are thinking about today?
1: We are thinking about today. And maybe she's thinking about today because for her there's really no tomorrow in politics. I just can't, I can't fathom any situation in which she should be and will be if she gets the job proficient at running anything. How did the Democrats let this all come together like this? How in the world did this happen? I can't imagine what other things would happen in this nation if we don't get this thing straightened out. Let me give you one more example of something that just pops out. The head of a medical supply company, a big one, that's involved in the distribution and the supply of those monoclonal antibodies across southeastern and Northeastern regions of the nation said in an interview yesterday that government takeover of the monoclonal antibody supply chain, it's exacerbated big backlogs and shortages. Now, these are the treatments that work very, very well in the very early stages of COVID-19, these monoclonal antibodies, and they're in great demand Unfortunately for you and me, the federal government owns control of them. The way the products are being distributed right now, relying on the government to determine who gets what, that process can be very lengthy in terms of time. That's from the CEO of this big company, Michael Einhorn. As a result, doctors are reporting surpluses in some areas, not enough in other areas. And that's fueled frustrations when critical patients are not getting antibodies for COVID infections. It is unclear how the monoclonal antibodies are being rationed among states. Einhorn said that commercialization of this product should be allowed so that infusion centers that need them can order in products based on patient volume, demand, supply and demand. Great novel idea. I guess that doesn't work in the Trump Oh, excuse me, I said the Trump administration. No, it worked well there. Not in this one. Einhorn said if they have oversupply, they wouldn't order more. Whereas when remedies are supplied by the state, nobody's going to say no to the government as the products are free practically. And that leads to mismatches in supply and demand. It's just one more travesty after another. One after another with no end in sight. And I'm not trying to be a downer today today. It's Friday. We're headed into a weekend. We should be happy and joyful. But going into the weekend, just keep all of these things we share in the back of your mind so that when it's appropriate, you'll be able to either think through and come up with something that's good for you or somebody else will ring a bell and you'll be able to share it with them. And there's there's a lot of other news outside of coronavirus and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, he's trying to shut down Joe Biden's male-to-female prison pipeline before it starts. You hadn't even thought about this. I bet you haven't. The president plans to house, we are told, federal prisoners according to their gender identity rather than by their biological sex. Now, the Arkansas Republican has introduced a bill that would require prisoners to be housed according to biological sex, rather than the subjective claims of gender identity. Here's what Tom Cotton said. President Biden's plan to house male and female prisoners together is going to put women in danger. Documented cases prove that placing men, including ones who identify as female in women's prisons, puts female inmates at increased risk of sexual assault. This bill that I'm presenting will stop the president's ill-conceived plan and keep men and women separated in federal prison. Can you believe we're having this conversation? Now, Biden's executive order is still in draft form requires the U.S. Attorney General to, within 30 days of the date of this order, if and when it's I- uh, issued, begin the process of identifying any necessary changes to the Bureau of Prisons' transgender offender manual to enable them to designate individuals to facilities accordance with their gender identity. I can't believe, first of all, there is an official transgender offender manual. By making a prisoner's subjective claim of identity the sole basis for their housing policy, Biden's going to be giving male criminals a free pass in women's prisons. I'm just saying. It's going to happen. If a male convict says he feels like a woman, Biden's going to force women to bunk next to him. He'll have a cellmate. No genital amputation or plastic surgery is even necessary. A man with functioning male organs can still be considered a woman, per the President of the United States. That alone, folks, that alone would scare me enough to keep me out of jail. (laughs) Biden clearly does not care that this will result, as it has elsewhere, in men raping and abusing female prisoners. Biden's indifference to violence against women, it comes from Democrats' embrace of those radical gender ideological ideas which teach that biological sex does not determine whether a person is a man or a woman. Thus, Democrats, Democrats now pretend a woman can have a fully functioning Genital, they see the inner woman as more real than the outer man and are prepared to take murderers and rapists at their word on the matter. Very honest folks, I know a bunch of them. (laughs) Doubting somebody's gender identity claim is a grave sin according to transgender ideology. It's obvious that this radical concept is going to be exploited by predatory men. But the left, they're not deterred at all. Cotton's new bill aims to stop him. A draft of the bill shared exclusively with the Federalist states that the Federal Bureau of Prisons shall use the biological sex of persons charged with or convicted of offenses against the U.S. in making determinations regarding housing such prisoners and shall not co-locate in detention facilities persons charged with or convicted of offensive against the United States if those persons are not of the same biological sex unless the BOP, the Bureau of Prisons, co-locate such persons with no regard to their purported gender identity. We don't have anything else on our plate, do we? I mean, come on. We need to deal with this kind of stuff. This is top of the heap problems. We've got to deal with this. Let me t- let me just say this, and I'm probably going to hack off people listening in. Probably if my wife's listening in, I'll hack her off when I say this, folks. None of this craziness is okay, and it starts with one thing. And listen closely. You'll probably quote me sometime this weekend if you get into a conversation about this. You know why none of it will work ever? The plumbing doesn't work. If you're a Christian, can you imagine how God feels about this? <laughs> Why would we even need to have this conversation? Oh my gosh. And then there's Joe Biden back up. He got, he got a great award yesterday. Guess what he got? The Washington Post gave him its big-time award, its harshest fact-check rating of four Pinocchios. Four. Why? Because of his false claim this week that he was arrested for the first time as a teenager while he was at a civil rights protest in Delaware. This came out yesterday. A headline in a paper, the Washington Post said, Biden claims yet another arrest for which there is no evidence. That's from Glenn Kessler, the Post resident fact checker. He said that Biden was not always a reliable source when it comes to his exaggerated stories and that too many elements of his claims didn't add up. I did not walk in the shoes of generations of students who walked these grounds This is Biden, but I walked other grounds because I'm so damn old. I was old there as well. I was there. You think I'm kidding, man? It seems like yesterday, the first time I got arrested. This was during Tuesday's speech in Morehouse College in Atlanta. According to the fact checker, Biden appeared to be referencing a story he told a number of other times about a conversation he had with his mother back in 2008 when he was trying to decide whether he should accept Obama's offer to become his running mate. In this story, Biden's mama reminded him of when he was a teenager and went to support a black family who had just bought a home in a town not far from where they live. And there was a protest against the family moving in. Kessler, the fact checker, noted that Biden told the story with several variations over time, as he does. Some referencing him getting arrested by the police. Others saying they brought him home to his mom and dad to keep him from getting in trouble. Other versions included his age, as well as the protest location. (laughs) Selective memory. I think we call that I think we call that Alzheimer's today. And I'm not laughing about that. My mother died. Complications from Alzheimer's. Kessler, the fact checker, added that Biden also never made any mention of the arrest in his memoirs, even when discussing that exact same conversation with his mama. News reports mentioning protests in the area at the time over a house purchase by a black family concluded that too many elements of Biden's stories didn't add up. The primary source for this story is, guess who? Joe Biden. And we've learned over the years that he's not always a reliable source. He appears to be citing his mother to enhance his civil rights credentials, which have noted he has exaggerated before. But too many elements don't add up to give this arrest more credibility than his previous claims of getting in trouble with the law. That's another Joe Biden whopper. Assistant U.S. Attorney General Matthew Olson. He spoke up during a January 11th congressional hearing on domestic terrorism. This is back in the news again. Domestic terrorism. And he said there has been an increase in violence against educators. No. We've heard this story, but what does that really tell you? Well, because he said this, he's directly contradicting Department of Homeland Security data. The hearing captured headlines due to Department of Justice officials refusing to answer questions about Ray Epps. Remember him? He's the guy on January 6th in 2021 that was in the protest But he appeared to be, and a lot of people that were there think he is a federal asset that was planted there for that. But this guy, Attorney General, Assistant U.S. Attorney General Matthew Olson, he's the head of the DOJ's National Security Branch, he made some unsupported claims about increasing school board violence. Olson was responding to questions from Senator Chuck Grassley about Why Merrick Garland, our Attorney General and Olson's boss, is devoting counterterrorism resources to investigate parents. Protesting parents committing violence against school board members. It's like, folks, that incident and those incidents like that that are happening around the, uh, the nation. They're happening every day, every week, and people are getting shot and killed and dying. No, that's not happening. It hasn't happened. And yet, these nut jobs bring it up and talk about it daily, pointing fingers and placing blame and saying things that are not true as they are. As the Attorney General's memo indicated, there's been an increase in violence and threats of violence against individuals who serve in positions of public trust. School board members, teachers, yeah. It's the same talking points again and again and again. But him saying that, it contradicts, contradicts the statistics. DHS counterterrorism coordinator, a guy named John Cohen, said during a November 3rd congressional hearing, responding to questions from Adam Schiff, Cohen said Homeland Security hasn't seen any, any quantifiable evidence of any rise in death threats, or any terrorism or violence. We did reach out to state and local law enforcement, he said. There have been some sporadic examples of violence at school board meetings and in educational facilities, but the information we've received is that state and local law enforcement were not seeing any kind of widespread action. The DHS officials' November statements came after AG Garland said in October The evidence underpinning his claims of rising threats of violence was a letter from the National School Board Association that was sent to the president. A letter characterizing protesting parents as domestic terrorism threats and calling for the FBI to use statutes such as the Patriot Act. Since then, this school board association has retracted and they've even apologized for the letter. GOP lawmakers, as well as a group of 17 state attorneys general, have called for Garland to rescind the memo, saying it chills lawful dissent. What we're seeing again and again and again is this concentration on stuff that is not in the mainstream, it's not critical, it's not important, and in this case, it doesn't exist. And They're getting our federal government up to their necks in these things as diversions away from the real problems that we're facing here. We've got COVID-19. We have the worst inflation since the early 1980s. We've got companies that are dying on the vine because they can't get people to go to work. And yet Joe Biden and Jen Saki and everybody that's a Democrat, they're out touting how great the economy is, how great the employment is. There is no unemployment. It's unbelievable we're living in a utopian society. Everything's okay. Listen to this. Internal U.S. Customs and Border Protection documents report you're not going to believe this. This is going to blow your mind. Human smugglers received 1 billion dollars in December alone. This is not the government. This is a group, a bunch of individuals collectively, human smugglers got a billion dollars in December, one month alone on average. Migrants claim to have paid smugglers more than $5,000 a shot. $5,000 a person. And folks, we apprehended more than $170,000 in just one month. The number is obviously going to be much higher. More than 400000 are believed to have eluded Border Patrol apprehensions last year. The document shows migrants on average paid more than $8,000 each. To human traffickers in the San Diego sector. Migrants interviewed in the Del Rio sector, they said they paid slightly more than $4,000 a person. It's, it's amazing. The averages are different from whatever sector you're in. Like the Del Rio sector, they paid an average of $4,020. El Centro sector, $7,900. It, it just is all over the place, but the total's the same. Up to a billion dollars. The source says not all migrants admit to even paying the fees. There are many reasons why the fees vary across the border depending on the barriers that are in place. All the way back to 2010, a report commissioned by the DHS notes that distances traveled to and into the U.S. can also affect the prices. So they price shop. The fees may also increase based on the nationality of this particular migrant. Racism. Racism. Human smugglers are racist. They're charging people of color more. Wait a minute. The smugglers are people of color. Traffickers fear the attention brought by smuggling migrants from significant interest countries or from countries that are considered to be terrorist havens. The increase in human trafficking along the southwest border by larger organizations is not a good development for migrants when you add that to a shortage of smuggler options. According to this department of Homeland security study, larger smuggling organizations have a greater tendency to violate agreements and abandon or extort their clientele. Let me just tell you this. It's biblical. This is biblical. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, even when it's human smuggling. And folks, people from Central America and Mexico, they're not stupid people. And they're obviously very good business people. I mean, look at what we're talking about. In one month, a billion dollars from hijacking people that want your help or just to let them. Do you know that the drug cartels... Totally support and control the geography all along our southern border, and when I say they totally control it, I mean they totally control it. You don't even think about getting across the Rio Grande River on the border of the U.S. and Texas. Don't even uh, the border of Mexico and Texas. Don't even think about it without cutting a deal. With the drug cartel, and it's all over Mexico, it's all over our southern border. Why is this administration not just allowing this, but supporting it? Why are they doing that? I can't figure that out. And by the way, regarding the Supreme Court mandate standing for federal court workers that are federal workers. They have to be vaccinated just in just a minute ago. Thousands of federal employees are going to peacefully march in protest of this mandate. Defeat the Mandates DC organizers announced that just a little bit ago. Over 6,000 members of Feds for Medical Freedom, which is a national grassroots coalition that consists of federal workers, announced they're going to join firefighters, first responders, medical professionals, and more in the March to Defeat the Mandates in D.C. January 23rd. Feds for Medical Reform was formed in response to these mandates and other restrictions imposed on federal employees. The group believes the government should not fire workers because of their health conditions or because of medically informed health care decisions. Now is not the time to abandon well-established laws regarding workplace discrimination, informed consent to use unlicensed vaccines, and individualized assessments by employers. Members of the federal community work every day to ensure the nation's laws are applied fairly to all our citizens. Now they're fighting the government to ensure the law is applied fairly to all federal workers. On that school board topic that we talked about just a few minutes ago. Do you remember that Loudoun County, Virginia case, which that dad got so animated and went crazy because his daughter had been raped in the bathroom or sexually assaulted in the bathroom of a high school in a girl's bathroom by a guy who had self-identified as a girl was assaulted there? Well, that particular guy, if you remember the, the school board and the school covered it up. They didn't report that action to the local police force. And when it finally came out, got ugly when it came out, of course, they moved the kid, the guy, to another school. He did the same thing at the second school. Well, there's some, I guess it's okay news about that today. The Loudoun County student accused of raping that ninth grade girl was reportedly sentenced to residential treatment yesterday. Juvenile Domestic Relations District Judge named Pamela Brooks pushed back the teen's initial sentencing date to allow him to undergo a psychosexual evaluation. The judge claimed the results of the evaluation scared her to death. The trial also uncovered that the rapist allegedly attacked a third girl. Over the years, this court has read many psychosexual reports, and when I read yours, frankly, it scared me, the judge said. It scared me for you. It scared me for society. The judge said, she's never ordered juveniles to enter the sex offender registry, but made an exception for this teen. I'm ordering you onto the sexual offender registry. So she ordered him to a full rehabilitation facility until he turns 18. On his 18th birthday, he'll return to court for next steps, whatever that's going to be. The moms of the two girls spoke in court. The Smith family, whose daughter's story was politicized, she's the girl that came up at the first time at the Virginia gubernatorial race. When that was all going on, we first heard about it. The Smith family will reportedly file litigation against the Loudoun County Public School District. The teen's initial sex assault took place in May of last year. He was transferred to a different high school within the county, though the district superintendent and board members were aware of the assault and they did nothing about it. He committed a second assault at the second high school. Just when you think it can't get worse, (laughs) what happens? It gets worse. Folks, once again, I want to say how much I appreciate having you aboard at Truth News Network and TNN Live. We're honored to be able to share these days with you and these stories with you. We've got our bullet point, Saturday bullet point offering tomorrow. There's a special guest article that's going to be in the Sunday Truth News Net uh, story. And then, of course, we're back in the saddle here on Monday. Find a great place to worship, people to interact with this weekend. Have a good one. We'll see you Monday at TNN Live.
5: For the second show Your guitar It sounds so sweet and clear But you're not really It's just the rain.